Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. Well, I want to welcome not only those of you here in the worship center and up in the balcony here in this room, but also our resonate worshipers in the venue and many more who are watching online. Uh, that part of our congregation is growing all the time. I'm so glad that you're here as we continue this series entitled Alternate Route. Uh, you know, growing up Baptist, I said this last week, we were often known more for what we were against than who we are for. Uh, and even today, people kind of have this idea that the Christian faith is just a bunch of rules of do's, but mostly don'ts. Uh, and, and that's a shame because we are far more for Jesus than we have don'ts, right? Uh, that's what our faith is about. And yet, Jesus did have some don'ts that he clearly taught his disciples and, and us. Uh, things that if we don't do these things, our lives will be better and happier and fuller and our testimony for the gospel and for him will be much stronger. Uh, and so there is a way that just seems the natural, instinctive way to think and to act as human beings in this fallen world, and then there is a better way. Uh, I noticed on the electronic sign on the highway when I was coming from my home to church this morning uh, that once again, next weekend, 1488, and the new tollway intersection will be closed. So once again, we are going to need to find an alternate route to get to church. Well, so it is with our lives. There are alternate routes that Jesus would have us to take that are better and, and more productive and more fulfilling than what we might just instinctively or intuitively do. And I said this last week, this is our theme really for the whole series. If you follow Christ, he will always show you a better way. He will always show you a better way. Well, today we're going to look at a subject that really affects all of us. I think uh, you know what that subject is. We've sung several songs here in the worship center about fear. Fear is something that affects all of us. There is something that we are just kind of troubled about, we are fearful of on the inside, and, and many of you, and thank you for participating, wrote on those cards what your fear is, and we prayed over those. But today we're going to look to see what Jesus said about fear. And really the message was quite simple. He said, don't fear. So that's the end of the sermon. We're all going home now. And uh, don't we wish it were that easy? If you could just say, don't fear, and we would stop living in fear. And yet, there's much more to it than that. We sometimes hear that fear is God's way of protecting us that uh, we are fearful of traffic, and so that keeps us from running out onto a busy highway uh, and getting killed. Well, that's not the kind of fear we're talking about. There's, there's one thing to take wise precautions against something that could be dangerous and being 
afraid. Uh, you take wise precautions. There's something that we've been taking a few precautions about. You may not have heard about it, but it's called the coronavirus. That, that may have popped up on your news feed uh, somewhere. And uh, we have just determined we're not going to panic, but we're going to take a few wise precautions. Uh, I, I said that instead of handshaking, I'm just going to do elbow bumps. And in the early service, one of my members said, well, is that the elbow you sneeze into? Well, thank you very much. Okay, I, I can't win. My son Chris is a pastor in downtown Houston, and he made a, a, a video, and he sent to his people, and they were going to do air fives. I hadn't perfected that yet. Uh, or they were going to do toe taps. And I, and I thought, for some of us who our balance isn't quite what it used to be, uh, we'll fall over if we try that. And the rumor will go around there being slain in the spirit down at First Baptist. So, uh, but, but, you know, we're going to have a good time with it, but at the same time, we're sanitizing surfaces. And, and if you were to have come in the worship center on Thursday evening, it would have smelled like a giant orange because... Uh, Dalton's crew had been in here sanitizing with a, uh, a, a sanitation chemical that smelled like orange and, and so on and so forth. Uh, we've got hand sanitation stations around. We've ordered some more and they'll be in as, as soon as Purell makes a few hundred million more. Uh, and so we're doing those kind of things, but we don't have to live in fear. And yet many of us are living in fear. And so here's what I want to unpack for the rest of the message. And if you don't remember anything else I say after this, at least remember this big idea. Jesus is greater than whatever you're afraid of. And for my fellow grammar Nazis out there, I know you're not supposed to end a sentence with a preposition, but it just doesn't work without it. So go with me, all right? Jesus is greater than whatever you're afraid of. And that's a lot of different things represented in this body of worshipers today. But I want to take you to some experiences that Jesus had with his disciples when he taught them about fear. So if you have a Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Now let me give you a little bit of setup to the verses that I'll be reading from Matthew 10. Uh, in the earlier part of the chapter, Jesus gathers his disciples together for a pep talk. And in this pep talk, Jesus says to them, Okay guys, I'm going to send you out, but you're going to be like sheep among wolves. And uh, you're also going to be arrested. And you're going to be put on trial. And you're going to be flogged with whips. Oh, but by the way, don't be afraid. <laughs> you know, we read this, and it's, you know, Scripture we've seen many times before. And we think, but, I mean, think if you were the disciples hearing this for the first time. And they're looking at each other saying, did he just say we're going to be like sheep among wolves? We're going to be arrested? We're going to be on trial? We're going to... Be flogged with whips. And then he says, don't be afraid. What is going on? And then Jesus says something in the next verse that is the heart of the lesson today. Don't miss this. 
Matthew 10, verse 28. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those, or you could put in, in, that, in that slot there, don't be afraid of anything who can kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It's very popular today for people to want a faith that, that is a get-out-of-jail-free card. That if you have faith in God, then, then you won't have to go through the difficult, painful experiences of life. You won't have to go through the fearful seasons uh, of life. Uh, you just can skip over those and kind of float above those. But if you, if you want that kind of faith, if you want that kind of religion, if you want that kind of Bible, if you want that kind of God, let me just tell you, that's not the New Testament, and that's not Jesus. In fact, quite the contrary, Jesus promised that we would go through those things. He said there would be wolves you could be arrested someday for your faith. You could be put on trial. You could be flogged, but I promise you many other kinds of things that are difficult are going to be a part of your life experience. And so Jesus said, but here's something I want you to understand. Verse 29, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, a penny? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Now look, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Now this was not the first lesson that the disciples had learned about not being afraid, about trusting in Jesus. I want to take you back two chapters to Matthew chapter 8. Uh, this happened before what has just been recorded there in Matthew 10, and I want you to see a memorable day on the water with Jesus. <laughs> Matthew 8, beginning with verse 23. <clears throat> then Jesus got into the boat, and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking onto the boat. Picture that. But Jesus was sleeping. Now, if you know about the topography around the Sea of Galilee, you know that it almost creates a wind tunnel. And wind comes off the mountains and it goes right across the lake. And you also would know that they didn't have modern meteorology back in, in Jesus' day. They couldn't pull out their smartphone and bring up the weather app and see the radar. Okay, a storm's coming. It should be here, 1032. You know, couldn't do any of that. They had no idea when the storms were coming. And so thus it says, suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been in a fierce storm? 
Have you ever been on an airplane that was experiencing severe turbulence and you wondered if that thing was going to crash? Have you ever been in an automobile accident? I'll never forget the day in Nashville when we were going back to the airport to come home and, and traffic stopped in front of us and, and I screeched to a halt and then I looked in my rearview mirror and I saw cars flying at us that I knew could not stop. Did you see the reports of the tornadoes that swept across central Tennessee this week? Killed 24 people. My son Brian and his family live uh, south of Nashville uh, and so he was not affected, but my oldest granddaughter, Olivia, lives in another part of Nashville that was affected by the storms. And as she heard the report of the tornadoes coming, she hid in her closet. And that storm came within a half mile of her home. Have you ever been in a storm and been, as we say, scared to death? Have you ever wondered when the storm was still raging if God was even listening to your prayers? Have you ever wondered if he was asleep? Well, the disciples didn't have to wonder. They could see with their own eyes. Jesus is asleep. He's asleep in the boat. So pick it up with verse 25. The disciples went and woke him shouting. By the way, never a good idea to shout at the Lord, but okay, here we go shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. They went into full-blown panic mode. This storm's going to kill us. They were overwhelmed with fear. So let me ask you, what is it you're afraid of today? A virus from China? Afraid of not having enough money for the future? Afraid of being alone? Afraid of losing someone you love? Afraid of a disease? What are you afraid of today? What is it that when no one else is around and no one can hear what you're thinking, what is it that keeps you awake? What is it that causes fear to attack you and steal your peace? Well, back to the narrative, verse 26. Jesus responded to them, Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And in that moment, listen, listen, in that moment, the disciples realized they had been afraid of the wrong thing. Instead of being afraid of the storm, they should have been in fear and awe of Jesus who could calm the storm. I go back to that verse in Matthew 10. 
Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God. Some of you are eaten up with fear. You know you are. You, you, you are just living with this tension and this fear. And this is not the first time you've heard this lesson. In fact, some of you who have grown up in church, you've heard this time and time and time again. And yet, you still haven't gotten it. But don't feel bad. Neither did the disciples. I want to take you now to another scene of Jesus and the disciples. This is after the Matthew 8 scene we've just read. It's after the Matthew 10 we read earlier, this time in Matthew 14. I want you to see one more story of Jesus and the disciples. Matthew 14, verse 22. Now follow this. It says immediately after this, and the this it's referring to is Jesus is teaching the crowd. Now the teaching is over. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. There's something here I don't want you to miss. It says he insisted they get back in the boat. The NIV translates it, Jesus made them get back in the boat. Now, why would that be so? I think it's because the disciples are stepping onto the boat and they're looking at each other thinking, I I remember the last time we got on a boat with Jesus. And it didn't go too well. And yet Jesus is urging them, get back into the boat, go to the other side of the lake. And then Jesus doesn't get on the boat with them. (laughs) I I just kind of envision he pushes the boat out into the lake and and waves. See you on the other side, boys. Verse 23. After sending them, meaning the crowd, after sending the crowd home, he, Jesus, went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, picture this, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, this is not a full-blown storm like before, but this is a strong headwind, and they don't have an engine in, in their boat. The only way that they can make it to the other side against this headwind is to row. And so they're rowing with all their might until blisters are popping on their hands. They're doing their best to do what Jesus told them to do. But the verse says they were in trouble far away from land. And there's no Jesus in the boat, awake or asleep. They're just trying to do what the master had said. But then it gets interesting. Verse 25. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. 
By the way, for centuries, cynics have scoffed at this and, and doubted that that really, that, you know, that's not possible. You can't walk on water. Hey, here's how I look at it. If somebody says he's going to die but come back from the dead and he does it, then walking on the water is a piece of cake. Nothing to it when you can come back from the dead. Well, the disciples hadn't read the book of Matthew, okay? So, verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, this is great, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! Come on, guys. You've seen him feed 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes. You've seen him heal the sick, make the blind see and the lame walk. You've seen him raise Lazarus from the dead, so on and so forth. And he comes walking on the water and you go, oh no, it's Casper. I mean, come on. But look, verse 27, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage, I am here. Fear not, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. But Jesus, we couldn't see you. Do you remember when you were a little boy or girl and you would get afraid at night and your mama would come and say, uh, don't worry, honey, there's nothing, what, to be afraid of. There's nothing to be afraid of. But you know what Jesus says? You don't have to be afraid even when there is something to be afraid of. Even when the source of your fear is real, you don't have to be afraid because he is with you. But I can't see him. I, I, I can't hear him. I can't feel him. Listen, he's not there because you can see him or hear him or feel him. He is there because he promised you he would be there. And you would have you would have thought that finally, I mean, Jesus walking on water for crying out loud. You would think finally when he tells them, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. They finally get it, right? No. Do you remember when Jesus was arrested? And when he was led before Pilate for trial? When he was crucified, where were the disciples? They had scurried away like rats in fear. And what did Peter, big, bold, brash Peter do when Jesus was arrested? He denied him publicly, loudly, not once, but three times. They didn't get it. But later... But later, in the book of Acts, you see the disciples, those sniveling, cowering, cowardly disciples. And in the book of Acts, they are turning the world upside down with the gospel. They're fearless. 
They have, have changed from cowards to champions. What happened? What made the change? One thing, the resurrection. The resurrection. I take you to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 3. Okay. Paul said, I passed on to you what was most important and what has, had also been passed on to me. Here it is. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. Then look, look, verse 5. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. When did they get it? That they didn't have to be afraid anymore? When they encountered the resurrected Jesus. What does that mean to me and you? Listen, listen. If Jesus can conquer death, whatever it is that you're afraid of doesn't stand a chance. It doesn't stand a chance. But it's a but it doesn't stand a chance against the resurrected Savior. Fear only has the power over you that you give it. Fear is a liar. Fear only has power over you if you allow it to have power over you. Fear only has victory over you if you allow it to have victory over you. Over you. Hear what the Apostle Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 22. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, in other words, we're all part of the human race, we're all sinful human beings, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. The victory over death was not just for Jesus 2,000 years ago. It's for you, and it's for me. It's our heritage. It's our legacy. It is our victory. Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 50, What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, 
He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm trying to say. When you don't fear death, there's nothing else for you to be afraid of. There's nothing, whatever stress, whatever anxiety, whatever uncertainty, whatever disease, whatever problem, whatever you might fear is nothing to be afraid of. So here's the next step I want you to take, just one. When you are tempted to be afraid, remind yourself that if Jesus could conquer death, he can handle what you're afraid of. He can handle it. Once again, Matthew 10, 28, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Living in no belief 
stop living in fear, you see. Oh, living in hope. If the devil wants to come for me, I will tell him to his face. You can have my body, but you cannot have my soul. In the heavens I will be singing songs of hallelujah. Body, but you cannot have my soul. No, you cannot have my soul. No, you cannot have my soul. No, singing songs of hallelujah. Songs of hallelujah. My soul. No, you cannot have my soul. No, singing songs of hallelujah. Songs of hallelujah. No, you cannot have my soul. No, you cannot have my soul. Are you afraid? Don't fear. Jesus is greater than whatever you're afraid of. Go in peace.